0: Okay, we've been doing a series on the women of the Bible. And so far we've done two ladies. Uh, We did Rahab, who was the harlot, prostitute. And then on the other side of the spectrum, we did the Queen of Sheba as a very wise woman. Rahab, Believed in God in spite of all the things that were against it. And she stood up, single person alone in a whole city, and believed in God when nobody else did. And so she stands as an example to us of people who believe when it's all against the odds. Queen of Sheba, though she was very intelligent and bright herself, she went in search of more wisdom and kept searching for wisdom and uh, found it in Solomon's advice. And so we get uh, it's kind of different ends of the spectrum from the low part of society, the high part of the society. Doesn't matter where you're from, you can still uh, believe in God. And now we go to another lady today. We choose a lady by the name of Everybody knows her. Does anybody know her? (laughs) Yeah, that's a name that you probably, well, maybe never have heard, and uh, however, you do know. And so we come to a a lady here, and we're going to say that her uh, service to God had to do with raising children. Raising children. And uh, when people ask me how to raise children, I have no advice. I got no idea. I don't know how to do it. Everyone is different. And I don't know how you make kind of rules for all of them because they're all so different. So I very seldom give advice on that. Modern ideas are the child is in charge. Let the little monster run the home. (laughs) And that's what you get, you know. You get little monsters that terrorize the home. And uh, that's, of course, not it. Uh, There are people now who say, well, we're going to let each child come to his full potential. The problem is, is that we are all Adam's children. I remember I knew somebody, and they were shocked when their 3-year-old did something bad. And they said, I don't know what to do. I said, whose child do you think it is? It's Adam. It's Adam's child. They're born to this, and so, and when we say full potential, you got to remember, Adam's children were born to rebel. You want to let that go to its full uh, extreme? That's not a real good way to do things. I think it's true that there are things that people have to learn at home. You can't learn them anywhere else. You can't learn them at school. And we can't really teach them here at church. We can try, and we do our best to, to guide children. But here they're going to learn Bible stories, and they're going to learn some principles and how things work, we hope. But uh, um, if you want to learn how to work, you got to learn that at home. Nobody's going to teach you at school how to work. Nobody's going to give you ambition there. And it was hard for us to teach young people to work. We're not in that particular part. But uh, that's something that got to be learned at home. And there's things like that that must be learned at home. Respect for adults is an important thing that uh, children need to have. And that kind of goes. I remember my mother used to say to me, you will not speak unless you're spoken to. When we go into a house or somewhere, you will not speak. You will not talk unless somebody talks to you and you'll answer their questions. <laughs> and that's how it was for me growing up. And so raising children is certainly not an easy thing. And we come to a lady here with an extraordinary ability, I think. And we go to Numbers chapter 26 to begin Numbers chapter twenty-six, and here we see the name Jacobed, and uh, <coughs> first time, well, it's one other place earlier in the Bible, and it's here, but in the story that unfolds about the lady, they never use her name. They never use her name, and that's why you haven't heard the name. Uh, it's Numbers twenty-six. Uh, verse number 59. <clears throat> and the name of Amram's wife was Jacobet. And so we have uh, a husband and wife team. And his name is Amram. Nice name. <laughs> and I was, who's your mom and dad? Amram and Jochebed Well, you know, there's different kind of names. The daughter of Levi, whom her mother bare to Levi in Egypt... And she bare unto Amram Aaron, Moses, and Miriam, their sister. And so now you know who Jacobet is. He's a mother of Moses and his brother Aaron and his sister. And so uh, the children that she uh, bore were, of course, first Miriam and then uh, uh, Aaron. And then the last one, most famous one, Moses. It is those children that we consider today, the birth of those children, and what happened to those children, and the times in which they lived. Exodus now, chapter number one. Exodus chapter number one. We want to start with the disadvantages that Jochebed faced, her and her husband, Because there are certainly uh, disadvantages, maybe more than you've ever had. A lot of disadvantages in raising these children. And so in chapter 2 of Exodus, verse 1, there was a man of the house of Levi, we know that's Amram, and took to wife a daughter of Levi, and we know that that's now Jacobet. And so we start out that these people are from the tribe of Levi. The tribe of Levi. Now, if you're up on your Bible history, you say, well, that's a good tribe. You want to be part of the tribe of Levi. Uh, we got the tribe of Judah, where it comes the kings, and then the tribe of Levi, where it comes the priest. Well, No, no, that's not exactly what this is all about. The tribe of Levi was a disgraced tribe. They were uh, looked down on because of Levi himself. And if you go back to uh, Genesis chapter 34, this is what happened with the tribe of Levi. And it starts out with the founder of that tribe, uh, Levi, And him and his brother uh, Simeon uh, pulled a real nasty stunt, (coughs) which shamed the whole family. And here we have a little story of the early tribe of Levi, Genesis 34, verse number 25. came to pass on the third day, when they were sore, that the two sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brethren, each took took each man his sword and came into the city boldly and slew all the males. See, what happened was uh, their sister was uh, forced by some people in this city. And then uh, Jacob said, well, you know, you should marry her. And he said, well, we want to do that. We're, we'd be happy to be married. And so uh levi and simeon said well you all need to be circumcised if you're going to, have to marry our sister and so the whole town got circumcised and then they went in and killed them all that's why they were sore on the third day uh, and so he went in and killed everybody in town verse 26 they slew hammer and shechem the, his son with the edge of the sword took dinah out of shechem's house And went out, and the sons of Jacob came upon the slain, spoiled the city because they defiled their sister, took their sheep and their oxen and their asses, and that was in the city, that which was in the field, and all their wealth, all their little ones and their wives took they captive and spoiled even all that was in the house. They kind of went way overboard. And Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have troubled me to make me stink among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And I, being few in number, they shall gather themselves together against me and slay me. I shall be destroyed, I and my house. And so, uh, Levi had a bad reputation, and that stuck with them for a long time. And now... Here's someone from the tribe of Levi. So you start out with a tribe with a bad reputation or uh, the founder of that particular branch of that family uh, had committed some pretty foul murder and robbery and every other thing and uh, were chastised by their father Jacob for their behavior. So the tribe of Levi had a, was under a dark cloud, and so that's how they start out. All right. Then I'll go back to Exodus uh, chapter number 1. Exodus chapter number 1, verse 15. The king of Egypt made the Hebrew wives uh, oh, I'm sorry, let's do chapter 1, yeah. Chapter 1, verse 12. Uh, chapter 1, verse 12. All right. The Israelites are in Egypt and the king is going to turn them into a nation of slaves. The more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were grieved because of the children of Israel. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor. That means hard work. They made their lives bitter and hard bondage and mortar and brick and all manner of service in the field. And all their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor. Right. so first of all, uh, it's a time... If you were born, you were born as a slave. If you're born at this time, you're born as a slave. And so uh, Moses is born, going to be born into slavery. But now we go a whole other bad part of it. Now, verse 15. The king of Egypt. Spoke to the Hebrew midwives, which the name of one was Shipra, and the name of the other was Puah, and he said, uh, "When do you do the office of a midwife to a Hebrew woman? And see them on the stools. If it be a son, you shall kill him; but if it be a daughter, she shall live." And so he said, "Any any Jewish males born, I want you to kill them." Well, they of course didn't do that. And so the king calls them in and says, why didn't you do what I told you? So, well, before we get there, they've already had the babies and they're gone. Which, of course, wasn't true. Uh, but uh, they were protecting him. Verse 21, came to pass because the midwives feared God that he made them houses. And Pharaoh charged all his people, saying, every son that is born you shall cast into the river, and every daughter you shall save alive. And so the third thing, he's born under a curse. The curse is, if you're a man child, if you're a boy, we're gonna kill you. So, so it's a nice time to have a baby, right? Your family has kind of got a bad name, and if your child is born, gonna be a slave. And then now, what happens? If he happens to be a boy, we're gonna kill him. So it's pretty hard to. Uh, Say, well, this is a great time, let's have another one. (laughs) No, no, this is a hard time to have a child, and it has these three things. And so they've had two babies already, uh, the first one being uh, Miriam, she's the oldest one, a girl, and then Aaron. And they were not born under this curve. The king hadn't set this law up that you're gonna kill all male babies at that point. So they had two children, still slaves, but not born under death sentence. Then you remember, of course, there was another baby born under a death sentence. That was Jesus. Jesus was born under a death sentence. Herod, who spoke to the wise man, says, I want them babies killed. And so they went and they killed the babies of Bethlehem. And it was only the angel that came to Joseph and said, leave town tonight. Go now. And he got up and left with Mary and baby Jesus and went into Egypt. That's the only thing that saved him. He was born under the same curse. Born, as soon as he's born, he's been condemned to death. So Jesus is born under that curse. Moses is born under the same curse. Okay, now we have the story that unfolds chapter 2 and verse 2. The woman conceived and bare a son when she saw him that he was a goodly child she hid him three months. All right. So that baby Moses is born he's called the goodly, uh, the beautiful child. He's beautiful. I never saw a baby yet that was ugly. Well, maybe a little, but no mama ever thought that. I've seen babies just hugging and kissing. Is the most beautiful baby? Okay, no, maybe, but uh, mothers think babies are beautiful, and that's okay. It's kind of the normal thing, isn't it? It's a natural par When a baby's born, it's beautiful. I was born with no hair like everybody else in my family. It was a long time before I had any. And then I had it for a while, and I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I say, oh, who's that ugly baby? Well, we're getting back there. We're all right. Um, but uh, this, she says, this is a beautiful baby. I, I, I love this baby. I love this baby. Now, over in Acts chapter seven, Acts chapter seven, we have someone who's telling the story of Moses. It happens to be Stephen. His last sermon before uh, he's killed. He's preaching a sermon, and uh, in in Acts chapter seven, and. <coughs> Verse 18, till another king arose which knew not Joseph, talking about Egypt, same dealt subtly with our kindred, and evil entreated our fathers so that they cast out their young children to the end that they might not live. That's what the king had ordered, get these babies thrown in the river. And when he was cast out, Pharaoh's daughter took him up and nourished him Uh, For her own son. Verse 20. which time Moses was born. And was exceeding fair. And nourished up in his father's house. Three months. And so when it says there is exceeding fair. Some of you might have in the margin of your Bible. Uh, Maybe you don't have a margin. But there's some Bibles have a side note. Uh, He was fair to God was fair to God. And so uh, God loves children. God loves children. And that's why when people play with their lives it really it doesn't make God happy. And I don't know how he's going to handle it but he's going to make sure every child gets what uh, they deserve and then the people anybody who messed with a child is going to pay dearly going to pay dearly. And so uh, God said, that's a beautiful baby too. And so they both looked at him. And so we have a mother's love. And we say, well, that, that would be normal. That would be good. That's true. Mothers should love their babies. This one loves her baby very much. Verse 3 now back in Exodus 2. And when she could no longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes, dabbed it with slime and with pitch, and put the child therein, and she laid it in the flags by the river brink. And so he's three months old. You can't keep him from screaming and yelling and making noise. We've got to get him out of the house or he's going to be discovered because we're supposed to drown him. And so, she makes a little ark. It's called an ark here because it's a thing of becomes a thing of safety, of rushes. She made a basket. What she made, and put it pitch all over it and slime, and uh, so it would float. She put the child in and laid it in the cattails, really what it is, by the river's bank. And so, that's extraordinary thing to do. Now look over at uh, Hebrews chapter 11 because we're going to open up a new chapter on what's going on here. A new chapter on what's going on and what was in their minds when they put that baby in in a little basket and floated him in the river. You understand this is the Nile River, so there would be in it crocodiles, lots of crocodiles in the Nile River. Say, who's going to put your baby in the river? Uh, They do say, I do not believe it, but they say that, that certain type of cattails the crocodiles don't like and they'll stay out of them. And, and uh, I don't know. I think that's stretching. If a crocodile's hungry, go wherever you want, get whatever he feels like taking. But here's what this says here: uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child. Right, so he's a beautiful baby. We want to save him, and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. And I think that's a beautiful thing to have said of you. Uh, so the king says, well, "We're going to kill your babies. Babies born, i going to kill them. Ain't killing my baby. I'm not afraid. I'm going to do whatever I have to do to preserve the life of my child. And I am not." going to worry about that nasty old king. Uh, I am not afraid. They said they didn't fear the king's commandment. And uh, so we add two things together. We add a mother's love and we add a mother's faith. And we put those two together. And you have an extremely powerful human condition Extremely powerful human condition. Love and faith unite together. There's a tremendous power in that. And uh, these two elements join together. She loves that baby. That's a beautiful baby. Anybody would love it. She loves that baby. And then she believes in God and has a tremendous amount of faith. How much? How much? Well, I like to look at this verse because I think it teaches us uh, an important thing. It's in the Song of Solomon. In the Song of Solomon, chapter 8, just before the book of Isaiah, is the Song of Solomon. And this is a comment that always sticks in my mind. When you say you love somebody... Listen to this. Song of Solomon 8 and verse 6. Set me as a seal upon thine heart. As a seal upon thine arm. For love is strong as death. That's a tremendous explanation of love. Now, how strong is death? Nobody escapes. Nobody escapes. Jesus is the only one. To go into it and then come back out of it again. Nobody escapes death. Death is a very powerful force in the world. Takes people continuously. Continuously takes people out of this world and nobody has got any power against it. Doctors don't. They think they do. They don't. They have no power against death. It's a very powerful thing. He said love is just as powerful as death. And jealousy is cruel." as the grave. Or there's there's a a jealous love. The coals thereof are coals of fire which have the most vehement flame. Set your heart on fire. Intense love. Many waters cannot quench love. Neither can the floods drown it. If a man would give all the substance of his house for love it would be utterly contemned. Everything you own is nothing compared to the love that you have. So there's a powerful force in this lady of love for her children and that's united with faith in God. Now remember she was born a slave and they've been in slavery for about 300 uh, uh, 300 years, 320 years. The nation has been in slavery. Never known anything but slavery. Jacob Born into slavery. So how did she come to know about God? The only thing is, there's no Bible. There's no Bible. She has no Bible. Her son would write the first books of the Bible. She has no Bible. It's entirely word of mouth. HANDED DOWN FROM GENERATION TO GENERATION UNTIL IT GOT TO HER. AND HER MOTHER AND FATHER SAT HER DOWN AND SAID, LOOK, I'M GOING TO the room, I'll TELL YOU WHAT'S WHAT. And GOD IS REAL? I'M SURE ONE OF THE THINGS THAT THEY POINTED TO REGULARLY, BECAUSE it, AS IT ENDS GENESIS, IT LEAVES IT HANGING THERE FOR US, THERE'S A COFFIN THAT'S NEVER BEEN BURIED AND FOR 320 YEARS HAS BEEN ABOVE THE GROUND. And it belongs to Joseph. And he said, when you go back to the promised land, take my coffin with you. Been sitting there for 320 years. Nobody's moved it yet. But in her heart is a belief that we're going to go back. That would be the dream of the slaves. We're going to go to the promised land. We're going to go back where Jacob and Abraham and Isaac came from. And so uh, what her knowledge of God is based on is word of mouth. She never had a book, never had a Bible to read. And she believes in God. And she believed in God enough uh, to go beyond normal responses. Beyond normal responses. Uh, If you look at uh, Micah 6, you get an explanation here. And it's funny how these things are buried in the Bible. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum. as your minor prophets. Micah chapter 6. This is God's point of view about Jacobed's children. Micah 6, verse 4. For I brought thee up out of the land of Egypt, redeemed thee out of the house of servants, and I sent before thee Moses and Aaron and Miriam. And so, these three children of Jacobed were God sent. God sent these children now the question is you decide for yourself now the question is did jacobed know what was going to happen to these children when mary is going to have jesus she knows why Because an angel came and said, here's what's going to happen. You're going to have this baby, and uh, he's going to be the savior of the world. And Joseph also was told by Gabriel the angel that the child he bears is going to take away the sins of the world. It's Emmanuel. So they had direct information from God. question is, did Jacob have that information about God? What made her so intense to do this really dangerous thing, which is take your baby and try to preserve him in your house for three months, and then to do something even ten times more dangerous, float him in a river? What made her do that? What made her do that? Did she have information? Did she have information somewhere? Did God say to her, hey, hey, uh, uh, what about him? In the basket, in the Nile River? Did she know? Did she know? You can decide that for yourself. Because um, I can't tell you that she knows. Doesn't say anywhere. It says in her actions. To put that baby in the Nile River, which is filled with crocodiles and every other thing, uh, she's got to have a tremendous faith in God that God's going to protect that baby in that river. It's got to be a tremendous faith. Now, maybe she's got it just because who she is, or maybe she got information. I can only explain my own experiences. Because when a child is born, and it's your own flesh and blood, there's a feeling. I, can't de- I almost can't describe it. Uh, you see them for the first time. And I know that for me, there was uh, several things. that I, The first thing was, I, mean, I don't know, they didn't have hair either. <laughs> I said, I love them babies. Those babies are born. I love them babies. And uh, I also asked the question in my own mind, and then, of course, God. When I looked at those babies, both of them for the first time, my first question was Who are you? Who are you? Because a baby is a big secret. You know, nobody knows when you look at a baby and you say, Well, here's what I hope. Here's what I wish. But I want to know, who are you? Who are you going to be? Who are you? And so uh, my first impression is that if I could get enough butter on them, I'd swallow them whole. Mm-hmm. I love them. Right, next thing is, who the world are you? Who are you? What are you going to do? And then for me, in both cases, we were, they were born in Batavia Hospital, and there used to be a little chapel there. I don't know if anybody ever was there or not, but there's a chapel there. So as soon as they're born, and I go to the chapel. I go into the chapel and I say, I don't know who they are, but I want them to be something important and special to you. So I'm starting with you right now. So they're just here for a few minutes. They're yours. I want them to be yours. And I think it's kind of a normal response anybody who knows god why is she not afraid what is it that she's so sure of and so unafraid because somewhere uh, you say well maybe an angel came It's possible who knows Uh, more likely to me is that the spirit of god comes and whispers in your ear and says hey pay attention That's more likely to me, because that's what God does. God comes to you in some quiet place when you're talking with him, and just says to you, hey, come on. I want you, you and I are in this together. Let's go. You want to do this? Let's go. And so I I feel that those things are kind of a normal response, but uh, She's got a plan. I still think she's got a plan. As if she knows something. And here's why. <coughs> Back in Exodus 2. Now she's just put him in the river. Verse 4. And his sister stood afar off to wit what would be done to him. Oh, so Miriam, this is his older sister by a few years... And uh, she said, now, notice carefully what it says. She stood afar off. So I'm sure under mother's instructions, you don't stand by him. Get back. Get a long ways back. I want you to be able to see, but I don't want you near him. Verse 5, The daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river, and her maidens walked along by the river's side. When she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. When she opened it and saw the child, behold, the babe wept. And she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. And then said his sister, or Miriam, who's standing afar off, to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call for thee a nurse of the Hebrew woman, that she may nurse the child for thee? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. Perfect. You talk about when a plan comes together. You see, I think it's obvious to me kind of when you read this, say, well, they knew that Pharaoh's daughter must have washed in that place in the river. So put the little girl back. We don't want the little girl to be identified with the baby. We want the baby unidentified. And so a little girl just happens to be walking by. All right, and so she never put the two together. She didn't say, oh, you're a sister. She didn't do that. She just came walking along as the baby's crying and said, do you need a nurse for that baby? Yeah, yeah, I know. I'll, I'll go get him. And she brings his mother. Perfect, genius plan. And so I do think that she knew something. She also fearlessly, says she's not afraid, says, you know, if he's going to live... Uh, we're going to have to get him somewhere safe. And I can't think of any place safer than in Pharaoh's house. <laughs> in Pharaoh's house. This lady is believed to have a fairly good reputation. She lived in her own castle. She didn't live in Pharaoh's house exactly. She had her own castle, which is more common in those days. And so uh, uh, she's going to raise the the, the boy... Jacob is going to raise him. going to raise this boy. And that's a pretty special thing that she gets to do. And I think they had inclination, whether it was that kind of meeting or not, I can't explain. But it certainly does appear that uh, they knew what was going on. And so um, as he goes into that home to his own mother's home, she's going to teach him and just pour herself into that boy. And she's going to give him everything that she was given so that he believes sufficiently. Now, something happens again back in Hebrews 11. It says, by faith, when he was come to years... By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So he's raised in that house for probably thirty years. I'm sure mom took care of him when he was small and helped to raise him till he's old enough to go a little bit more on his own. as At least 30 years in Pharaoh's house. But he doesn't want to be called Pharaoh's daughter. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Or in other words when he got 40 years old Moses he said I want to be a Hebrew. I don't want to be Egyptian. That's my people. How did he know that? He didn't learn that in Pharaoh's court. He learned that at Jochebed's house. That's where he learned and it says esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasure of Egypt for he had respect to the recompense of the reward. He said at 40 years old he said I could live my life two ways. I could live in luxury, have everything I want and I got a good chance at being pharaoh. Because there was no rivals were any brains. He could have been Pharaoh in Egypt. Or I could live my life for God, and when I'm over and done with it, I'll do a whole lot better living for God than ever being Pharaoh. Being Pharaoh isn't worth a nickel when you're dead and stand before God. You want to be able to say, I live my life for God. And so Moses made that choice, and there's no question his mother was a tremendous influence. Now, she's also an influence on the other two. The other two become famous in their own rights. Uh, Exodus 15 where you get a famous moment for sister. Exodus 15, they have just come through the Red Sea on the other side turn around, Red Sea closes, drowns the whole Egyptian army. And uh, somebody says let's have a song. Verse 20. Exodus 15 20. Miriam the prophetess she's a prophetess. Now how'd she get to be that? Because she knows more about God than other people. That's what a prophet is. Somebody knows more about God. Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a timbrel, that's a tambourine, in her hand, and all the women went out with her after the timbrels and with dances. And Miriam answered them, Sing ye to the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously, the horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. So Miriam leads all the women of Israel in a big, exciting dance. And she becomes the leader of the women of Israel after they crossed the Red Sea. And she's a prominent person there uh, because she's learned from the same mother. Right? Of course Aaron the brother is also one of those people who will have learned Exodus chapter 4 and verse 10 Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord I am not eloquent neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken to thy sir I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. And so Moses when God says we've got work for you to do he says "Uh, I can't speak good. got to get somebody else. And God says who do you think made man's mouth? (laughs) And then he, he says verse 14 And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, Is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? I know he can speak well. And also, behold, he cometh forth to meet thee. When he seeth thee, he will be glad in his heart. Thou shalt speak unto him, put words in his mouth, and I will be with thy mouth, and his mouth will teach you what you shall do, and say, He shall be thy spokesman unto the people. He shall be even what he shall be to thee instead of a mouth. Thou shalt be to him Instead of God, and so Aaron is going out to meet Moses because he just can't wait. He got gotta got find Moses because I think the day has come, and the day had come. Right? Now Moses is going to step up, lead the children of Israel. Right? So uh, they're both born under the curse of death, our Savior, and and. Yet, uh, he's raised right in Pharaoh's house, right under Pharaoh's nose, in the lion's den. And I think there's a very important concept for us to think about here, because we hear a lot of despair in these days coming from Christians. I hear a lot of despair coming from Christians. It has to do with the government and government policy and what the government's doing. And I want you to take notice of this. Uh, there is a government policy in effect in Egypt. Pharaoh, the government of Egypt, is doing everything in his power to oppress God's people. Now, this is real oppression because he got them as slaves. And he said he turned their lives into bitterness. There's bitter bondage there. So, Pharaoh is oppressing the people of God, God's chosen people today. That's the church. Right? It's the government oppressing the church. He does it with slavery worse than we've ever seen any in our time. And the second thing that government policy is, is to kill children, is to throw them in a river and to kill children. And we have same government policies today. We don't throw them in a river. We get them before they're even old enough to throw in a river. And so we have the same kind of government policy, oppressing the church and uh, doing their best. Government does their best to kill children and I want you to see, is God stopped by that? Not one bit. Is God disadvantaged by the government policies of Egypt? Not one bit. Matter of fact, he chose the most difficult time, which is when babies were supposed to be murdered as soon as they're born. And he said, now timing is perfect. I'm going to bring a baby into that house. This woman I can trust and her husband I can trust. I'm going to put a baby in a house born under the curse of death. And you're going to say, that's the worst time. No, God said, that's my time. It's perfect. I'm going to put my baby right in the middle of that oppression and of those government policies that oppress And then here's what else I'm going to do. I'm going to raise him in Pharaoh's house. He's going to grow up in the government housing. (laughs) I'm going to raise up the man who will deliver it right under the nose of the government. Was God disadvantaged? Not one bit. Matter of fact, he worked it out perfectly and made it so that the hardest times, when the government posers were the worst, the hardest times, they said, now it's perfect time. And so, as the mother says of her and her, and her husband, they didn't fear the king. They didn't fear the king. They we're not afraid of that. And that's a wonderful thing. We don't have to be afraid of what's going on. Don't you think God can handle that? He can put Moses in the middle of that. And then, born in the worst, you think it'd be the worst time to be born? He's born right in the middle of it. Parents fearlessly don't care about government policy. We're going to save this baby because God needs these children. And so, Aaron becomes the high priest in the family. Uh, and the, the tribe of Levi, ever after Aaron, is considered the holy tribe. Because of Aaron. All right. So they changed the reputation. Of the tribe of Levi. With Aaron. And Moses of course his brother. And so. It certainly. shows that in a time. Of extreme. Government oppression. God. Said, <laughs> had nothing. Watch this. It brings a deliverer into the world. And if you want to say the greatest people in the world is Jesus Christ, you've got no argument from me. It's obviously. Who's the second greatest man? Probably Moses. In the history of the world, Moses. Uh, led a nation free but he gave us the bible he told us about the beginning of the world he took god's law put it into our hand he taught us about sin he taught us about all kinds of things because he was educated in all the ways of the egyptians the bible said he had education in all the wisdom of the egyptians and he was a scribe an author a lawyer if you will uh, a writer and he wrote the most profound things. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. It's masterful, it's perfect. Nothing explains like Moses. Now he's telling his own story, he doesn't even give you his mother's name. <laughs> Because why do you think he didn't say and my mom Jacobed hid me in the bushes? He didn't say that. Why? Because he knew how it was that he got to be hid in the bushes was God. God sent him. God put him in that basket. God kept him safely among the crocodiles in the Nile River. God kept him there. He knew it was God. And so you say, well, you're not respecting your mother. Oh, yes, he is. He tells a wonderful story. He tells a wonderful story. But he takes her name out of it and his father's name out of it because he wants to make sure that you are clear. How did this happen? It got so bad that government policy was so oppressive and so evil. Drown these babies in a river. Didn't stop God for a minute. He sent everything his deliverer right into the middle of it and brought him up right under pharaoh's nose it's perfect it's wonderful to show how god's power overcomes no matter how bad it gets he always overcomes what do you think happened with jesus same thing he's born under a curse He's hated by the people who refuse to accept who he is. And you're thinking, man, how bad can it get? Well, it got worse than you thought. They killed him. Did it turn out to be bad? It was magnificent. It was a magnificent victory in the midst of the most governmental interfering time in one of the histories of the world. The Roman Empire uh, hold his power over the Jews and the Jews reject God for rules and regulations and you say what's going on the government is corrupt and, and uh, uh, the religious people are corrupt that's when Jesus is born that's when Jesus grows up that's when Jesus does his best when things are the worst and so uh, don't be afraid do not be afraid There's no reason to. God is well in control. What's he going to do? I don't know. He didn't tell me. All right. But I know from what we see here and from what we know about the Bible, he is not hindered by government. Not one bit. Not one bit. All right. He's perfectly capable of doing what he wants. It doesn't matter what the governments are. And the Bible says... How does God consider the nations? And he said, well, it's like one drop in a bucket. Put a drop of water in a bucket and you can't even lick it out. Because it's nothing. He says, like dust on a scale. It makes no difference. God's opinion of the nations, it doesn't make any difference. It doesn't outweigh anything. It's dust on a scale. It's a drop in a bucket. The nations, it says, are as nothing before him. And so the story of Jacobed is under extreme disadvantage. She brings her son into the world, teaches him all that she can, and God takes that and uses it. And her three children become the three most famous people in the history of the early Israelites. All out of one house where God was honored and believed in above all else. It's a tremendous story. All right, thank you.